Hey, Augmenters. I'm Julie. And I'm Jimmy. And we know that great leaders have great mentors. And today we are joined by Renee Angelo Mock, Operations Manager at Mentor Maryland, D.C. But come on, she is so much more than that. She's a mentoring expert specializing in meeting the needs of neurodiverse communities through mentoring. Renee is going to school us on how to connect better with others by going through the development relationship framework. Read it, learn it, love it. You will learn how to grow to your potential during this episode by getting into the mindset and concept of being askable. Prepare to be askable and you will find new friends who will help you grow. This entire episode's principle is about connection. Here we go. Renee, Angelo, Mock, we are so happy to have you today on Augmenters. You have such incredible experience. I know Jimmy has been really looking forward to this conversation, as have I as well. So welcome to Augmenters. How are you doing today? Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm doing all right. Pretty nice out, so. And the dog was happy to walk for once. So <laughs> it's well, all the animals are currently quiet. They may come yeah. back uh, at some point in time here, but we, yeah, we're thrilled to have you on and we'd love to get a chance to at least kick off by getting to know you a little bit. So the first question we usually ask our guests is the fact that generally a mentor is somebody who believed in you before you believed in yourself. Yeah. We'd love to hear who that was for you and what they saw. Yeah. So my first mentor was um, my youth pastor growing up. You know, I was, yeah. I mean, I wasn't until I was a teen, really, but I felt very disempowered. I felt young people can't do anything. And I really thought that to be true. And you know, I was at a retreat and, you know, we, we were sharing different things, et cetera. And he liked what I had to say. And he talked to me afterwards and he said, you know, I'd like to ask you for help or something. And this is an adult who asked me for help. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, whoa. Like I like really felt, <laughs> felt empowered because this you know, yeah. adult was sharing power with me. So it went on that, you know, I ended up doing a lot of volunteering and we planned events and things like that for the youth at our church. And we would go on to you know, stay in contact for many, many years, but is the first person who really like, saw my contributions and things like that at a time where I felt very disempowered, especially which I think a lot of teenagers and young people feel that way. So it was, yeah, it was really special and I've never, never forgotten it. And it's definitely led me to, you know, the career that I'm in now. Excellent segue. <laughs> Tell us about your career now. Yeah. So uh, I'm the operations manager at Mentor Maryland, DC. So we are a regional affiliate of the National Mentoring Partnership, which galvanizes the mentoring movement across the United States. So essentially, the mentoring partnership and all of us affiliates aim to increase the quality and quantity of mentoring. So mentoring, mentoring Maryland, D.C., we're obviously covering Maryland and D.C. So on the quality aspect, we're providing typical assistance, training, professional development to mentoring programs, youth practitioners, and even mentors at this point uh, so they can do their best work out in the field across Maryland and D.C., uh, evidence-based practices, research-based practices, uh, and also making sure that they have everything they need to do their best work as well. And then that quantity, uh, making sure that there are enough mentors, that there are enough mentoring programs, because what we're finding out in the newest data is that young people need more than one mentor over the course of their lives. And not just young people, mm. people, adults. So this is data. Uh, yeah. we're, we're all young, I mean, yeah, 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 we're hard, all young. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. Some of us younger than others, but yeah. yeah. Uh, but the National Mentoring uh, Partnership released uh, a, a report last year called Who Mentored You? Uh, that included interviewing across generations, but you know, all the way up to, to boomers and like adults and things like that. And in their reflections, what they came to find was A, that a vast majority of people uh, felt that they owed their success to mentors. And B, that especially the younger generations felt that they uh, needed more than one adult over the course of their life to connect with and seek help and advice from. So again, we want to make sure that there's enough mentors, hearing adults to do that. So that's what Mentor Maryland DC does. And before I came into this role, I mean, I worked in youth development and at mentoring programs in at youth programs. So learning by doing. And now I'm on the other side, you know, providing support for the, the previous me. <laughs> <laughs> Supporting past Renee. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, it's meta. So I don't know if there are any children's books yet published by Mentor Partnership, <laughs> but I just heard the book title from you, Who Mentored, mentored Hugh, like yeah. baby Hugh, H-U-G-H. And uh, somebody could go around asking like adults, like another child, who mentors Hugh? Yeah. And everybody mishears them, especially. <laughs> uh, and, and instead the people say, oh, here were my mentors. Yeah, yeah. And actually educate this kid that we all have mentors and that's a very normal thing to happen. But really she was just like, you know, I'm trying to find my friend Hugh <laughs> in this life. <laughs> that's great. You so, should do that. Yeah. That's Sorry. actually great. <laughs> uh, these are the things... Multiple streams of revenue. I, I hear. <laughs> so I, I'm really curious, Renee, like you are, I was very drawn to you when I heard you in a public speaking presentation, you crushed it. I was glued to my seat. I didn't want the presentation to end. I wasn't, I didn't even have a second cup of coffee. It was, it was, it was early. It was amazing. I was really, really, you were, you were just like so energetic on stage. It was with a sit down presentation. It was really unique. How did you go about making the decision to leave like the hands-on work? I could tell you cared about it in that presentation. I'm sure you still do, but how did you go away from like not talking to the like youth daily basis to now looking to really add this like capacity and like yeah. scale. I, I assume you wanted a greater impact. Like how did you go through that decision process? Did you talk to other people during that time? But like what finally clicked in that decision for you? Great question. I mean, definitely it's never easy to, I mean, even across my youth development career, it's never easy to even move from organization to organization because you're leaving some kids behind and things like that. Yeah. So once I kind of was in what would become the end of my kind of frontline career, what I was finding was that I really enjoyed training mentors and that uh, capacity building side of it and recruiting mentors and all those kinds of things. And as I was doing that, I was you know looking for, I was like, what are the best practices? What is the best way to do this? Because I wanted to make sure that you know I was doing it because I wanted to not just to feel like I was doing a great job, but <laughs> that that would have, you know, leave an impact I had the best possible impact for, you know, for my young people. So the reality is, is that I became connected with Mentor Maryland DC. Mentor Maryland DC was uh, resurrected in Maryland in 2018, which is when I was working um, on the front lines. And uh, I became connected to their services because I was interested in increasing the quality of the services that my program was providing. So, you know, I was going to their trainings. I was learning about the elements of effective practice. And I think in that learning, you know, I saw, right, there was only so much scope I had at my own program. I mean, luckily I was, I was at a program where like we served um, hundred kids, which you know, that's not nothing. That's, 
know, six for now. I served, you know, an entire elementary sure. middle school, more than 100 kids in elementary middle school, or 100 kids in our program. But, mm-hmm. you know, there is a, you know, right, there's a limit of scope that you have when you were on the front line. So I realized that I was enjoying capacity building um, to a degree and I felt more comfortable, like taking, you know, further and further steps away. I, you know, I was supervising interns and things like that who were doing a lot of uh, the direct work as well. I was taking kind of many steps back. And again, I was mm-hmm. getting connected with Mentor Maryland DC and, and their resources and the research side of it. And it, you know, luckily we became an, an easy and natural transition. And as such, I've been able to be, continue to be in touch with the programs that I've worked with and and vouch for how great they are, which, which they are. Renee, I have to ask, and I keep thinking about this. We had a chance to meet uh, folks from the mentor, regional mentor offices across different states and regions. And then of course, the national mentor office, as you transitioned into this role, did you get a mentor? Is that a meta question? Did national mentor give you, have you have a mentor? How'd that work? Yeah. I mean, I wasn't. And was your mentor named you? Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. We're not, I wasn't officially assigned a mentor. There's no like official mentoring program. I think something, I mean, what came to be was that uh, the executive director, the former executive director of Mentor Brown DC, you know, became my mentor and is still my mentor. He's moved on um, to somewhere else. And, you know, he was the person that I was networking with in, in my previous role as well to help me transition into, into this role. So you know, he informally and informally as a supervisor role, he came and, and served as, as my mentor, which was, again, continues to be my mentor, which I think is, you know, what he and I often still talk about is that, you know, all the, um, the practices, the best practices of mentoring and things like that really apply to all relationships if you break it down, which is why for us, mm-hmm. especially at Mentor Maryland DC, the definition of mentoring is, con- our view is that it's continuing to get more and more broad, right? It's essentially anybody who interacts with a young person has the capacity to have some sort of mentoring impact mm-hmm. um, on a young person. And wherever there might be a shift of a power dynamic, a supervisor, somebody who's supervising an intern, somebody who's supervising their colleague, somebody who manages a team or manages a project, uh, there's an opportunity to be a mentor and have you know mentor-like qualities and practices that you bring to the relationship. So I think being in an environment where everybody knows that, you know, has that secret sauce and values that, it becomes a natural part of our relationships and you know workplace culture. I was curious, Renee, if you would mind saying that again. Maybe you could share with us a little bit more about how mentoring is currently defined. Sure. Yeah. So our point of view is really that the aspect of mentoring, definition of mentoring, the best practices of mentoring can really be applied to any relationship, especially where there might be, it feels natural, where there's like a shift in a power dynamic. So an adult and a young person, a supervisor and uh, the supervisee, but it could be, you know, a project manager, um, any kind of manager, of which there are many. <laughs> and uh, I always say that managing people managing is the hardest job that nobody wants. And it's because very often it's people aren't really trained to do it, but really it's about being a mentor so much of the time, which mentoring is actually more easy to do when you think about it than people managing in the approach. Mm. So I think our point of view is that mentoring is can be anyone and should be, it can be applied to any relationship. And that also mentoring is for everyone, right? 
it's not just for the you know somebody who's troubled, somebody who you know needs it at this particular time. It's that everyone needs it, and everybody. Again, what we found from that report is that the majority of people feel that they owe some part of their success to a mentor and another caring person outside of their you know immediate family and parents. So that what that means is it creates a lot of opportunity uh, for meaningful relationships and, and intentional relationships. So if any relationship could be a mentoring relationship, why don't we? approach mentoring in this most basic form now like what are some of the like structural barriers that you see in like our communities that get in the way of that great question i think i i feel like i just made you sad <laughs> no i mean i think a lot of it just has to do with intentionality and it takes that effort mm. of intentionality and wanting to do that and another place of kind of like how i got into the business of relationship jimmy mentioned seeing me speak i was speaking about neurodiversity and i you know, I disclosed that presentation mm -hmm. that I've later in life diagnosed autistic person and autistic people are, I mean, the stereotype is that, you know, difficulty building relationships, right? So in my, without knowing that for 35 years, I hyper adapted by learning everything about relationships and the how-to and the, oh. and, and the intentionality of it and the steps and things like that. And that was very helpful for me. <laughs> and I, you know, it ended up you know, serving as a successor and helping be able to coach people and organizations on building relationships. But it's about, for me, it's easier to say and have that intentionality because I have to literally take the steps to build those, you know, to build that and think through that. Whereas the average person does not necessarily have to do that. So I think it is those reminders of intentionality for relationship building, which so much of the time I tell this to programs to do all the time is that when they come to my trainings, is that I'm always asking them like, after this training, you're going to have a lot more work to do. Because <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> you're going to have to be like thinking about all these things and be more intentional, which yeah, it takes more effort and work in a time where we feel like we're depleted of effort and time to do work. Wow, that is so incredible. That's like blowing my mind because you had to really focus and be intentional on showing up for these relationships because it didn't come naturally to you or that you were able to develop the skill that now you brought into this work that you've done. That's really incredible. That's really incredible. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about uh, something that you said related to, you know, that it's just basically like real relationships, sort of the tenets of real relationships or showing up for relationships. What are some questions that you often ask to kind of establish rapport or to kind of kick off that initial relationship? It sounds like you've given some intentional thought to it. Do you have any kind of tips on how to start these yeah. relationships? So a relationship building framework that I love, and it's something that we do train mentors on, but again, apply to any relationship is the developmental relationship framework uh, that was founded by Search Institute, a great research institute. They do tons of data about positive youth outcomes, but again, this is a relationship building framework that can apply to any, and there's kind of five tenets of the relationship building framework which are to provide support, show that you care. Oh man, it's, it's, it's okay. We're, we're, we're not testing you, Renee. Yeah. No, they're really good. I want to remember the five things because these are the ones I talk about all the time. I'm Googling it as well. This, this, this makes for great radio. My, <laughs> my, 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 my favorite parts are where we learn from the internet. Okay, right. Express care, challenge growth, provide support, 
share power, which you heard me say earlier, and that was intentional, yeah. and expand possibility. So it's a very foundational thing. So there's also this timeline of like when it's appropriate in relationships to do each of those things. So you kind of start with, right, expressing care. You're not going to immediately get into a relationship and challenge somebody, right? So you start with expressing care, this idea of like being dependable, listening, <laughs> showing that you believe in someone, being warm, being encouraging, providing support. So, you know, helping somebody along the way, along their journey. So helping them navigate situations, empowering them, advocating for them as needed. And then once you get in deeper into relationships, pushing them to get better, right? Just having high expectations, holding them accountable, helping somebody reflect on their failures. And then that idea of sharing power, which is really important when we're thinking about possible power dynamics and relationships, you know, treating mm -hmm. with respect, inclusion, collaboration, giving opportunities for the other person to lead. And then this idea of expanding possibilities, you know, this is where we think about the idea of like social capital and networking, you know, what else is out there? So inspiration, helping somebody broaden their horizons, making connections um, based on their interests and what their goals are. So that A, a is an amazing framework. A B, a resource with tools um, all over Search Institute's website that I recommend for all the time because it's extremely, extremely accessible. And when I do the training with mentors, I we do a reflection on like, who did these things for you? When you think back to when you were a young person, who is the person who provided care? Who is the person who challenged you the most? Who is the person who supported you, who shared power with you, and who expanded your possibilities? And typically, People can, you know, really, when you put that lens on it, can really think of those people. I can think of those people now as well. Renee, I, I'm, I haven't heard about this framework as specifically as you put it together, but I can see it in even like small interactions that sometimes occur, like even just like talking to a neighbor, like being like, oh, I'm so sorry that, you know, your toilet backed up. You know, it seems small, <laughs> yeah. but instead of just being like, yeah, it stinks, peace out. It does matter a lot. You mentioned this intentionality is very important, but often I feel like in, like we're thrust into communities that we didn't necessarily directly choose. Mm. So like, I'm thinking about whether it's around the park that I live that you know well, whether it's a school system. I didn't necessarily choose to be part of this park community. These students didn't necessarily choose to be part of the school. So how do people start thinking intentionally then about the relationships that they're kind of thrust upon them instead of just like, oh, like, yeah, like I'm going to have to talk to you <laughs> in class or yeah. like I'm going to have to <laughs> interact with my neighbor. I'm so sorry about it. How do you become intentional when you didn't choose to be there? Good question. I think, I mean, you make a good point that this framework can apply just to, you know, smaller relationships and and quicker interactions as well. I think the other important part of this relationship is that it makes the point that relationships are bi-directional and that they go mm. both ways. And that's which means that when you do these things for others, they do it for you. And in successful relationships, kind of all these elements of the framework are being hit and that they're they're all going both ways. So then also you're able to evaluate relationships that may not be working out because things are missing or relationships that may not be worth investing more of your time in. So maybe work relationships where you have to draw boundaries on emotional investment because you know someone's not able to do that emotional investment back to you, right? What's the professional boundary that we can set there? So I think remembering that there is always mm. that like you get what you put in, which is something we say to you know volunteer mentors all the time, and is true for all relationships. <laughs> again, I think it is important that when we think about you know community and connections, that you know that's just the bigger network of all these kind of micro relationships. So, you know, it has to start somewhere. So 
Mitch, we'll start with you. How many people though, like react like positively when you're like, yeah, you get what you put in. You're like, okay, come on. Like I only got like 20 bathtubs I got to put stuff into. Like, give me a break here. Like, I, I mean, yeah. it, it's true, but there are also ways to make it like less of like, you know, a Sisyphean task of like getting up the hill, every relationship that like, you're never gonna, you know what I mean? Like how, how can you make it less of like a burden to get what you put in? Like, do do you have any ways to say that differently? I mean, well, for one, well, for volunteer mentors, right. They're volunteering. So they're already invested. I mean, for organizations. So I'm also a certified HR professional and all the data Mm -hmm. says that, you know, when you make it clear as an organization that you care about your employees that respond, (laughs) they respond well. And when you show that they do do not care, uh, right. (laughs) That the opposite. And that right now, especially in the industry, that there is a huge gap in this kind of caring from organizations and employees being felt that like their organizations even care at all about their well-being and it's not when we say the organization it's not just this you know being of course that's made up of people right who are implementing policies and procedures and managing their day-to-day so i think there's tons and tons of data that is saying all of these things right now i just so i also just recertified my certification so i was framing in all my ceus in july (laughs) (laughs) hours and hours of webinars we won't tell anybody yeah yeah yeah. you know hearing over and over in these reports about employee well-being and um and about you know taking the time of that investment and the the roi on it is just so obvious (laughs) you know it's wild to me and i i think the other side of it because it seems might seem random that i am a certified hr professional on, on on the side of this but for me it was how i kind of came into that role. You know, I was at a mentoring organization. I moved into the HR team for a little bit. And as I did, I was like, you know, I'm going to advocate for the people on the front line. So, you know, they have a better work experience. And I say this, I spoke at the Maryland nonprofits conference a few weeks ago. And I always say this, you know, how we treat people at the top, like from the top down, that ends up going down to the communities, right? So when, or or for, you know, for profit, that ends up going down to your output. Right. So I think that investment on the Mm. front end is only going to happy employees do better work and more work, whether they realize it or not. You're saying creating that culture where people care for each other and they're able to sort of use these five principles where they can really show up for each other, share power. Amazing. Yeah. I loved what you talked about. Your youth pastor wanted you to help create things kind of almost giving you sound like a leadership opportunity kind of at yeah. that very beginning, right? Like I see you as a leader and can you help me with this? Right. What a great role model, even in the workplace, right? Exactly. Like what kind of work can you do to feel empowered that you're actually making a change within your organization? So while the five principles you talked about make so much sense in terms of relationships, I think that's really key, you know, cause our audience tends to be more adult than youth, but that is exactly what they need to be thinking about when they're showing up for these relationships as well. Right. Or when we say like, nobody likes a micromanager, why? It's because they're not sharing power, right? They're doing the exact opposite. They're saying that they don't trust you and that they, you know, they don't want you to reach your potential or try something new or grow into your role and this, that, and the other. Think about the why of those things that we know don't work. And we also know that most people leave their jobs because of relationships with their managers. So the the opposite side of that effect. So again, when we think about, that's why I think so many things can come back to a simple framework like that. Yeah. It just like, it all adds up when you really, really break it down. So 
mistaking your point would be, well, micromanagers are great at providing support. Like they're, they're like in it, you know? <laughs> so, but I follow your LinkedIn posts cause I am quite drawn to them. And I didn't realize it until you put this post out like a while ago over the summer, maybe it was even earlier where you use the term askable, mm-hmm. which I hadn't heard before. And, you know, I've heard, you know, punchable, like faith, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. but not necessarily. And like, we're not advocating for that, but you know, I've heard, I've never heard askable and I have realized as, you know, somebody that I always had to go over to my friend's house as a kid, they never want to come to my house. I was always like, okay, how do I, how do I want to be, how do I make sure I'm ready to be interacted with that? I'm like, kind of like open. And I hadn't thought of it that way. And you have a way of doing this really well with like some of your posts, which I won't get into. I have too many notes here. Again, I dorked out on this one, but you mentioned earlier on that one of the things that mentor partnership is trying to do is build capacity for mentors. Mm -hmm. Like, I think we make the case pretty clear and the value prop is clear that like being a mentee can be great. I actually find being a mentor is more rewarding, more fun. And I learn more and like lifelong learners tend to tend to really enjoy mentoring. How does that term askable play into being prepared to be a mentor to somebody else? Yeah. So and could you also define what it means to be askable? Yes. Yes. Please. Yeah. So this idea of being askable is so in our frame of reference. So we actually we're doing this training, how to be an askable adult. And it's next week for programs when it comes. But it's Shout this out. idea that, yeah, it's, I mean, it's this idea that a young person or whoever really, you, that you're essentially approachable and then when someone is in need of, in need of that support, right? That you are a person that they feel is, they're comfortable to ask, right? That you're an askable, available in that kind of way kind of person. And I think for for mentors, and I think you're you're so right, Jimmy, that lifelong learners really enjoy, enjoy being mentors. And, and you said the other thing too, is that what I found from, somebody who recruited and supervised mentors for a long time is a 99% report that they get back more than, than what they uh, built, uh, than what they put in too. So. And, and, and the 1% who don't report that just had their pen break at that question. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> I think mentors, what we're finding is that they, they want to be askable and they want to be prepared. They know what young people are going through and what we're all going through, right? Like times are tough for everyone out there right now. And this idea of being askable isn't something that's just a matter of just being there or standing there, right? For a manager, it's not just being like, oh, I have office hours. Doesn't mean anybody's going to show up and you know, talk to you or, or ask you, right? It's not being askable. It's being available, right? Mm-hmm. How being a calendar link like makes you available doesn't mean that someone's going to schedule a meeting with you <laughs> to talk. <laughs> so that idea of making yourself, you know, is you know, part of a social competency, a com- communication competency. But um, our point of view too is this kind of broader full, full scope of knowledge going around, you know, cultural humility, around for us, you know, honoring youth voice, which is really just, you know, honoring anybody's voice, right? Or for wherever they're coming from. So the National Mentoring Partnership has a resource that they put out a year or two ago directly to mentors. And most of the resources are really for programs. This is their first resource that was directed to for mentors, but it's called Becoming a Better Mentor. Great title. <laughs> <laughs> Great title, right to the point. Tell it like it is. Right. Uh, but there's 12 chapters and each of the chapters kind of, um, if you- 12 if you go, chapters? It's- Talk about a tub I got to fill out. It's not a whole book. I mean, it's not like a book book. It's like 12 to 15 pages. 
Okay. But you, each of the topics, you know, if you really go through, which you wouldn't need to go, I mean, yeah, they're, they're standalone. You wouldn't really need to go through all of them. Um, yeah. Can really help do that capacity building or becoming askable. I mean, and it goes as simple as, you know, providing emotional support and empathy, which is something that some people are really naturally good at. But for those who might not be, guess what? The good news is that it's actually a skill that you can build, which is what the chapter outlines, which is something that for people who are, thinking that, oh, I can't be a mentor. That's what they're worried about. It's like, actually, I don't have the skills to do it. Or right. Or like, why would a kid or anybody want to come talk to me? Like, what do I have to offer? And our point of view is that like, everybody has something to offer. <laughs> and when we're trying to connect, yeah. you know, diverse people, and especially when we're thinking about kids, we want kids to have be uh, exposed to diverse, you know, all different kinds of people. But that's my hope for everybody is that, you know, workplaces are filled with diverse kinds of people and that everybody has the capacity to get along and things like that. So, you know, those kinds of lessons, providing emotional support, practicing culture, humility, are really a way kind of building towards making yourself askable. I'm going to shift for a moment uh, away from the Becoming a Better Mentor book and just yeah. ask some like probably, you know, dorking out questions that I have not asked before on the podcast, but I'm uh -oh. curious how you'll respond to them, which uh -oh. would be a uh, do you have a like historical or maybe current like popular mentoring relationship that people might know about that like you you like love to think of that as an example or just gives you energy knowing something like that existed? That's a cool question. I don't know. I'll have to think about that. Well, I was just thinking about so a few years ago we put on or every year we put on Martin Luther King we do a project for young people to participate in and one year we were talking about how Martin Luther King was a mentor and the different people he mentored over the course of his life, you know, Baird Rustin, who is a, a black gay civil rights leader that a lot of people don't know about and some other people that he was a mentor to. So I, I haven't, I haven't spent tons of time thinking about that, but I like to put that lens in places where we've not thought about it before, which is what we did in that situation, thinking about, yeah. you know, how Martin Luther King was a mentor and how you can be a mentor in your community, you know, as part of a cause. I'll have to think about that more. I mean, I think the mentor-mentee, I don't want to say trope, but like we see it in movies and media a lot. I think one, what was the name of that documentary? You know, did you ever see the documentary about the kid who was trying to win the jet with Pepsi points? Yes. Oh. Pepsi, where's my jet? Yeah. I, yeah. so I told my, my mentor about this, this documentary and I was like, this documentary is really about mentoring because the kid and the, the adult who was encouraging him to do it, like yeah. it was a mentoring relationship. I mean, tons of other crazy stuff happened in that, in that documentary. <laughs> Oh, it was and stuff. pretty crazy but you know we talked about like in the end it was you know a mentoring relationship this older person who was invested in this younger person was like yeah you should do it you should you know you should go and try and make pepsi owe you a jet in this weird situation <laughs> well i actually I, I loved that documentary yeah. like corporate espionage like corporate documentaries like that are my absolute jam they're like my favorite and i loved how this guy was yeah basically teaching him how to kind of like get money outside of the regular yeah economy. he was like make, write a business plan and like was, he was you, you, you see all those things if you look back at that framework you can see all those things yeah and he was like challenge him he was like well write a business plan like try this thing it didn't work out he was there and supported him along the way it was a really long process they were connected throughout the whole for years for years and years and years i mean that's what a mentor is and i really loved the um last part of the sort of 
five areas that you're speaking about, which is like making introductions. Right. And like, that's exactly what he did. He's like, all right, here's like the guy who has the whatever. And here's the guy who has the whatever. And here's the person that you should talk to. Totally. And even actually to Jimmy's point about the community and the plumber, like, you know, person's has a plumbing issue. Like, hopefully you would be like, Hey, let me connect you to somebody who can help you with yeah. that. So I love that. Like making sure that's kind of like your finale. And I always find that with mentoring relationships, that's been so valuable to me. People have introduced me when I've been a mentee. And then I always try to do that as a mentor as well. But that's such a, yeah, that's such a fun one. Yeah. I hadn't, I had never, I hadn't thought of that. That's a great movie too. Yeah. Sorry, Pepsi. So now you're making me think uh, how to adjust my next question for you, Renee. <laughs> Instead of book club, talking about like, you know, uh, whiskey movie night or, you know, whatever <laughs> your favorite you know drink is. But w- we like to use a book club as like a symbol for getting people prepared to talk, though it has really nothing to do about the book. It makes them askable yeah. now that I'm using your terms and that the book itself is the physical symbol that then unlocks this small community to actually share and have call it group mentoring, call it whatever you want, but like it lets people emotionally care about others. What physical symbol or anything do have you used in the past to like, you know, literally bring that book out and put it on the table and be like, Hey, we're pretending to talk about the book, but it literally actually helps us, you know, open up and be ready to be vulnerable. You've never brought a, a plush dolphin somewhere and just like <laughs> drop it on the table. Platypus. I mean, a dog. Yeah, I was, I was, I was thinking that my dog Ooh. does. He, he travels. He comes to our office That's and part of virtual and in-person meetings. So he's, <laughs> he's very disarming and can get anybody to participate and talk for sure. The dog. And he would have stayed here the whole time if you know somebody wasn't about to break in, which I'm sure that they are. Um, <laughs> but no, that's a great question. I mean, I think one thing that I learned years ago when I was trained in something called peace circles was this idea that, you know, as a facilitator, so peace circles is this idea that you're in a circle and it's a facilitated conversation. It's a facilitated conversation basically. And where you are learning from people in the circle, but you are not specifically responding or like replying to what people are saying. You know what I mean? Like people get to speak, but we're not like, I think this about what Joe said. You know what I mean? So it's about how to facilitate those conversations. But one thing that I learned in that training almost 10 years ago now was this, you know, this idea of as a facilitator, you know, to, to model sharing, right? So why would anybody else open up and tell their story or whatever, if I didn't model and, and do that first, which I think, you know, you saw Jimmy in the presentation that I, I did in January, you know, I tell a lot of stories about uh, myself and, and my experiences in my presentation. That's why I love to do capacity building so much in my role now with programming is because like I was there, like I lived it. I'm like, when I share, uh, you know, new information and facts, I'm like, I know, you know, the, the situation where this applies to where you need to like, you know, if it's a safety thing about like, you know, if it's some kid in control or whatever, or if it's a risk management thing, like I can think of the real situation where it applies to because I had that shared experience. So, and I think it's really important as somebody who facilitates all the capacity building to do that, you know, disclosure um, and modeling first. And another thing that I really try to do, you know, in my role often as a, as a facilitator and presenter is too, that when people are invited in and we're learning something, I remind people like, I don't care, you know, what you did before you came here. Like if you ran your program and it was terrible, oh, well, like, I'm glad that you're here now. You know what I mean? That you have the opportunity to come and learn now because 
I'm more concerned about the people who aren't here, right? Like, I'm glad that you're here to learn now. And now that you're getting this information here, now we can move forward. So always also showing gratitude for people when, when they're in that process of learning as well, I think helps a lot. Renee, I, I feel like I must have somehow like prepped you for this, you know, <laughs> over the airwaves in Baltimore because you just totally teed me up for my my like last like real question for you, which is, you know, if you could think about the future, if you were gonna, you know, put on your like jazziest pair of red sparkly shoes, you click them together. And how would you want mentoring to be defined in 2050? Like, like, how do you think people would look at this word in the future? I'm sorry. I let you down, Renee. Give me another chance. No, I, it's an interesting question. We, so I was just at a conference yesterday where, where we were challenged to think about Baltimore 10 years in the future and, and to think about mm. our wildest dreams as well. So I'm like, I'm very deep into it. I'm like, what are my wildest dreams for? You know how I would want things to to be defined. So you know, thinking about that too, because I'm not that I, I'm not assuming all my wildest dreams will be be true by 2050, but like I'd like that to be true. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we but, won't hold you to it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so something that we're saying at Mentor Maryland DC a lot right now, right, is that mentoring is for everyone, which is true. And I think as you know, I mentioned earlier that the I mean, the tenets of mentoring can be applied to any relationship, and I think they should. And I think as you move forward and you're having these learnings about mentoring, which you know, you're finding from research and the like, that the idea of mentoring and community will become more closer and closer to, together. And Ooh. that, you know, by 2050, you know, communities will be tighter knit and people will have more relationships. You know, we know that in general, people feel more disconnected than ever. And I think, you know, one mentor can definitely help, you know, people feel less disconnected for sure. Um, but I think community is, you know, the real self there. And I think that's, you know, where mentoring can get kind of towards that goal. So I think that would be my hope in 2050 is that mentoring is nearer to the definition of community and those things kind of all mean the same thing. So you're saying I'll be voting for Renee as a deputy <laughs> mayor of mentoring for Baltimore city in 2050. Is that what I'm hearing? Or just sure. the mayor of mentoring? Sure. Maybe even sooner, 10 years <laughs> from now. Yeah. I like it. Uh, so Renee, to wrap up, I have a very quick, I call it my verbal Rorschach test, but it's more yeah. just rapid fire. If I say the word, what comes to mind for you? It's just four of them. If I say mentor, what comes to mind? Maryland, D.C. <laughs> yes. Maryland. It's, it's got a flow. Corporate Renee just came out. I like it. <laughs> How about mentee? Young people. Uh, sponsor? <laughs> I want to say me. Sponsor me. Yeah. <laughs> sponsor us. I, I actually love that. That might be one of our best responses. Sponsor? <laughs> I'm always asking for, you know, money to do the things that I want to do at Metro NDC because I don't like make people, yeah. I don't like make people pay for for services and almost all of our services are free. So I'm always just like, someone give us some money. Yeah. I, I link, link, in, link in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you, you are trying to show what you want to see, which are askable people and you're right. asking them for money. Yeah. Right. Right. And, and when I say coach, what do you think of? Barb, who is one of my coaches growing up awesome coach. what sport uh baton twirling 
I love it. <laughs> Obviously. Phenomenal. Uh, Renee, thank you so much for sharing with us. You, you've literally made my week. Yeah. Uh, I had a great time. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Julie, I was so excited to talk to Renee, if that didn't come through in no, every way possible. Like oh, yeah. I hope so. Uh, this was one of those times where I got to hear somebody's wisdom in a public setting and then did a lot of research, learned about their organization more, learned about some of the work that the individual had done. And I got even more impressed with Renee over time. And it's one of those times when you reach out like on LinkedIn, you're like, oh, I hope they respond. You know, it's like you say somebody, say hi to somebody in the halls, you know, of like high school. You're like, God, I hope they say hi back. And it took a little while, but I got a hi back. And I felt very lucky that Renee shared with us. Well, I definitely remember you walking out of that session, like not even really your feet touching the ground. You were like, so you like kind of almost skipped to tell me like all about it. So yeah, yeah, she, and I'm so happy to have met Renee because I got so much out of this conversation. Renee obviously is an expert in mentoring, which we have never stated ourselves to be. Although I, I would say we've learned quite a lot in the last almost 100 episodes, but Renee is such an expert and um, obviously has all the knowledge, but also like all the passion for this. This topic and, and this work and compassion yes passion and compassion and she brings the energy i mean you talked about like me skipping after i left the session it's pretty hard to take 200 people talking about how to be better at mentoring and make it so engaging you didn't want the session to end especially when there was coffee and snacks on the other side exactly i, I totally agree and i also feel very lucky that renee put up with you and i coming up with my first book who mentors you the children's book promoting mentoring to <laughs> elementary school playgrounds all across the world. I think you could definitely be onto something. But Julie, what what was your number one like thought about the concept of being askable? Oh, yes. Not just being available, but being askable. And I loved how Renee said, you know, you could just like send people your calendar link, but that doesn't mean that people are going to actually mm -hmm. know that you are open to having a conversation. And I really appreciated that because sometimes I feel like I'm very askable, but I don't sometimes have people ask me things so I can really reflect on myself and how I can be more askable, not just available and being really open to hearing what's going on with other people and not trying to fix things and, you know, showing up for difficult conversations. So I love that. I had never thought of that before. What did you think? It's just a great line. Like it's just, it's kind of, I think about in basketball, you always talk about, you know, being in the you know ready position, you know, knees bent, you know, you're balanced, you're kind of ready to go. And it's kind of the same thing about, yeah, it's not like one thing that makes you askable. It's just being prepared to take a breath, smile, you know, going through what some of our best guests on the podcast have told us and showing up for somebody. I, I, I think it, it that ties right into Renee's comment that a mentoring relationship must be bi-directional so that there has to be this back and forth and being askable is like the primer to be having a relationship become bi-directional. Yes. Yes. And that that is what's special about mentoring relationships, as she mentioned, different, different than managerial relationships, which definitely have an element of power dynamics and can be more one directional. But the idea that this is the purpose that you get so much from each other and that you can show up as equals, as, as peers, regardless of where you sit in the relationship. So I felt very lucky that 
Renee shared with us. And shout out again that when you say mentor, you think of Maryland and D.C. for the mentor.org mentoring network. So thank you, Renee. Thank you, Renee. Augmenters out. Augmenters out. Wow, you've made it this far, and we thank you. Hopefully, you enjoyed our episode and discovered new ways to bring more authentic connection into your mentoring relationships. Want to tell them more, Jimmy? Be an Augmenter with us. Visit our website for the best interactive mentoring content at augmenters.us. Share our podcast with someone you care about. Like and subscribe. And yes, really, you following our show and writing a review, it's a big deal. Your actions provide us with the resources to continue our undefeated, unencumbered, prize-winning productions. We welcome questions and suggestions via email, hi at augmenters.us, or on social with our handle at augmentershq. We are most active and available on LinkedIn and YouTube. Shout out an earnest thank you to our intrepid producer, Erlen Cato. We appreciate you. Augmenters out. See ya. Thank you.